0: Okay, so this week we're going to briefly look at our tour portion um, for the week. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to worry about that right now. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to briefly look at our... Um, our Torah portion this week, because where we're going to focus is actually going to be in the Apostolic writings of the book of Luke, and um, but it's pertinent what, what's covered in our uh, Torah portion, because it has to do with um, the birthing of children and purification that would happen, uh, and what we're going to see in our Apostolic writing is that Yeshua's parents, Miriam and Joseph, were faithful Torah observant people which is very important to note um, you know because I have a lot of Christian friends and uh, you know it's not really the, their fault although it is because we all have the Bible but uh, and can read it but you know the way that you're raised in that culture you know that the Torah is done away with the law is done away with and so you know I never even knew that Joseph and Miriam were heading down to uh with, with, with Jesus to, you know, go and do what they were supposed to be doing with him according to the law, you know, they were observing, they were faithful, which of course they would be, being the parents of the Messiah, you know, and, um, so, but it's fascinating to me when you talk to, you know, your average Christian on the street, including some of my friends, uh, you know, what we read every day, you show, um, Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, one of my friends told me, well, you know, when G- Jesus came, he revolutionized everything by, you know, saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. By adding that neighbor as yourself, uh, it just changed everything. And I told him like, well, that's actually in the Tanakh. That's that's That wasn't actually new that he pulled those two things together. But that's written right there in the Torah, way back in the beginning with Moses and the prophets. And so what God longs for his people to do is to have his word, that very culture, the essence of who he is, permeate their lives and everything that they do, because it's supposed to be, as it were, between your eyes. So it's everything you think about. It's supposed to be on your, on your, bind them on your hands, so that every time you do something, those Words are we're reminded of when we do our actions. We're supposed to write them on the doorpost of our houses, so that when we go in, whether you write with a sharpie on your doorpost or you put a mezuzah, I don't care what you do, but you're reminded as you go in and out of your house, you are the, a member of God's kingdom, and you are abide by His laws and His rules. And then when you would even go and work your animal, you'd see him on the gates uh, uh, of your fences. And so you go out there and you're like, wait a minute, Shabbat, I can't work my ox today, you know. And it's because they're supposed to have a rest. So these things were supposed to permeate their lives. So if you want to turn, we'll go to Leviticus 12. Or I'll turn, everybody else is there, I guess. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. All right, Leviticus 12. First one. It's actually a pretty short Torah portion um, the, the, the rest of it is about lepers Which I almost spoke on I've spoken on it before I don't think it's recorded But it's a fascinating topic To um, study the portion about the, the lepers And then follow it through the prophets In the book of the Kings like with Naaman And then when you get into Yeshua healing the prophets You, you see that it was a big deal that he could heal these leopards because I'm going to preach everything I preach, but basically only God cured leprosy. Leprosy just didn't heal itself. And it also, it, it seemed to be a plague that was put on someone or someone got it for their blatant defiance of God. You know Miriam, Gehazi. Um, and so to be... To be cured of it, it was like to be uh, forgiving your sins, and so that was a lot of the. We're not going to speak on that today, but that's a lot of the pertinence behind uh, leprosy. And then when Yeshua healed the lepers, why it was such such a, a big deal. So, chapter twelve of uh, Leviticus, verse one, and Yehovah spake unto Moses, saying, speaking to the children of Israel, saying. If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation of her infirmity, shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day of the flesh of his foreskin shall he be circumcised. Uh, I'll add a quick note. We were very fortunate that um, uh, both... Torn, well, torn we weren't able to, actually. You're right, because that was kind of before our... our Keeping the Torah really as we I'm should, but Gideon, our, our our second son there, third born, we we actually were able to have him circumcised on the eighth day, which was pretty cool. I by thought a by a Jewish right. man of all things, and so um, yeah, that was anyways. That was pretty cool. So uh, and there's a specific reason for that. God didn't just pick eight days out of nowhere, but that's a whole other story. Okay, so eighth day four. Uh, And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. If she bears a maid child, it's a girl, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her separation, and shall continue in the blood of her purifying three score and six days. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled... For a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon and or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation of the priest, who shall offer it before Yahweh and make an atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from her issue of blood. This is the law for her that hath born a male or a female. And if, this is an important verse right here, if she's not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons. Not turtles, as in in the pond, turtle doves. More for the kids, then. I realize you guys get that. <laughs> uh, one for the burnt offering and another for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. All right, so let's go up to Luke chapter 2. Watch. Transport. Time. Time. That's right. You know, the other thing that's fascinating, I just love reading the apostolic Scriptures, the New Testament, because to me, it's like we're in the same situation. You know, they're occupied by a foreign power. Um, the temple and the priesthood is, is all a corrupt mess. It's, it's exploiting the people. And it was in these dire, terrible situations that the Messiah came, that redemption came. And... What's also interesting to me is never do you see um, the Torah or the Word of God sidelined because of the situations they found themselves in. It's always there, always pertinent, always something they were to do. You know, God didn't say, well, Miriam and Yosef, you know, the priesthood and everything's corrupt and, you know, so you can... You can bypass that and just forget it and go about your merry way. Now they still obeyed; they still did what they were supposed to do. And as we're going to read and see here, they were very poor, so they weren't able to even bring a lamb. They brought two turtle boats. All right. So Luke chapter two. So we're going to read. We're going to read um, a decent amount here, but I think it's important because, quite frankly, we don't. Uh, we don't read. Uh, what's easy to do in the Messianic movement is to get so focused on the Torah because it's new to us, right? We're, you know, bringing it back that we tend to, at least maybe I tend to, I should speak for myself, maybe focus less on the Apostolic Writings or the life of Yeshua. And I've been in this walk now, keeping the Torah, nine years or so. Yeah, nine years. And so now, uh, I find coming to the, the Apostolic Writings just awesome. It's like reading it with new eyes, you know, and uh, because when you start to see it in the context of the Torah, the prophecies of the Messiah, what happened with Israel, it all falls into place. It's no longer just bumper sticker slogans. It's, it makes sense. It's coherent, you know. I don't feel like they're two attached things because that's how it used to feel when um, I remember, I remember specifically thinking Um, I used to teach a youth group in my dad's church growing up. And I remember specifically thinking and trying to figure out, you know, why it basically seemed like everything changed when Yeshua showed up on the scene. And it was like two different books. Like one thing was happening then, and now everything's kind of different now. And I couldn't rectify it in my head. It was like this weird gray area. I don't have that anymore, which is just awesome, you know. So, all right, so let's read this. First, let's pray, though. We're going to pray Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, uh, for your word. Um, Even though we're small, that we can still be here. Uh, We can study your word and we can learn from it. I pray that you would just move with your spirit through your word in our hearts, in our minds to change us, to uh, walk out your word where we are in the midst of the diaspora, in the midst of chaos, knowing that your word is still powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and that it's alive in our lives to change us and that you will return again and bring redemption just as you, you did when you came the first time to uh, save us from our sins. And so I uh, ask as we're in the midst of this, counting in with the omer of this period where we're leading up to the spiritual birth of your people, uh, that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts to, uh, I don't know, just understand your word and live it out in our lives, Father. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. All right, Luke chapter two. And it came to pass, verse one, in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone unto his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea and to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So as we read this, I'm just going to kind of comment add thoughts as we go through. So this is very significant because, one, the fact that they were living up in Galilee, in, the, in Nazareth, that was prophetic because they, the prophecies were, in those areas, a light would shine. And that light was the Messiah, the promised Messiah. So then, through a wicked dictator who's taxing God's people that shouldn't even be there, they have to go down to Judea, right, to be taxed. And thus the Messiah is going to be born there uh, and fulfill another prophecy. Or they'd be born in Bethlehem. You know, it just blows my mind that somehow God works through these terrible situations that we would see as bad, but God uses it for his glory to fulfill his word, you know. So not all the time are bad things bad, I guess you could say. <laughs> or God uses them for good. Uh, but it's hard to remember that in the, in the midst of it. So he was out of the house and lineage of David. Five, to be taxed with Miriam, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was. While they were there, days were accomplished that uh, she should be delivered. Uh, The other important note is um, this period of time was not the end of December. It was during, actually, the season of the festival of Sukkot, and he did that for a specific reason, because everybody would be gathering in that area anyway for the festival of Sukkot, as he knew they were devout. And so it was an easy way to have everybody uh, get registered while they were already there. And so it would have been, as Sukkot normally is, end of September, beginning, middle of October. And so he was born not in the dead of winter, but actually in the fall, during the season of Sukkot, where God tabernacled, so among us. You're my (laughs) birthday. Yeah. So, and the other thing we're going to read, well, let's keep reading. So, uh, seven, and she brought forth her firstborn son, firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. There's other stuff in there we're not going to comment about. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Messiah the Lord. I mean, that's a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes Lying in a manger And suddenly there was with the angel A multitude of heavenly hosts Praising God and saying Glory to God in the highest And on earth peace Good will toward men So they, there's these Shepherds Now it's important to note These shepherds aren't just random shepherds Hanging out and all of a sudden You know you know, A beam of light hangs out these were shepherds that were in that area that would have been keeping watch over the the sheep that were, and the goats that were um, for the temple service and the temple sacrifice. So you have these guys that manage the lambs for God that were supposed to be offered and sacrificed in the temple, and then these angels come to them and say, the Lamb of God is here, right? The Messiah who's come to take away the sin of the world. And so uh, and then they, the sign shall be, you will be seeing them wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Many people believe that those swaddling clothes were actually leftover priestly garments because oftentimes they couldn't be reused. And so um, they believe that, that it's very likely because, you know, it wasn't like today where, you know, pack the baby bag, honey, and you have 50, <laughs> you know, uh, nice organic cotton, is... cotton blankets with you, you know, all, all over the place. You know, they were poor. And so it's very likely that these leftover clothes that got recycled it's the community were probably leftover priestly garments, which is kind of interesting, exactly. Basically, like? yeah. So, uh, let's keep going. 15. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Miriam and Yosef, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the child which was told them concerning this child. So this was a big deal. You basically got these... And the other thing is, who they were led credence to what they would say, because people would know these are trustworthy guys because they're watching over the lambs for the temple. They're not random, you know, sleeping in, 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 out in the field, you know, vagabond shepherds. So they were trustworthy. So then they say, they go out and they say, we've had a vision from God that the Messiah is here, and we found him wrapped in these swaddling clothes in a manger. It's a big deal. So that's why they put everything into an uproar. Uh, 18. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Yeshua which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the wounds because it, he was to save his people from their sins. And so he was named Yeshua beginning that. And it was customary to name uh, the child when it was circumcised. And so Yeshua would have been brought and he would have been circumcised and, um, and he would have been named. Um, why, did it, why does it say like, and his name was called Shira, which he was uh, named. Because remember when yeah. Miriam had the vision of the yeah. angel and told told her? Oh, yeah. That's why. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, 22. And when the days of her purification, that's what we just read about, purification of uh, for a male child, which would have been two weeks. Oh. Or, uh, Seven days. And you're right, it was I'm sorry. Like it's like 30, 30 days. Girl. And when the days of purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to Jehovah. So they had to, uh, they had to give a sacrifice instead of their son because all, all the males that opened the womb were to be dedicated unto God. And um, twenty four and to offer a sacrifice according to that which uh, is said in the law of the Lord, in the Torah, a pair of turtle doves or two young piz- pigeons. And behold, so they brought the sacrifice, they did what they said, he was circumcised on the eighth day. We have a trend here. They're being obedient. Yeshua is being raised in a Torah-observant lifestyle. There's consistency. <laughs> it's not like everything changed all of a sudden. You know... You know, it's not like anybody got a vision saying, you know what, everything we were doing, forget that. Jesus is here now. Live by your bootstraps, you know, by grace and whatever, and whatever you dream up. It's been the same from day one. It's important. Okay, so I love this part. 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout. What that means is he was obedient. He kept the Torah. He walked in God's ways. He was righteous. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. That I find really interesting. He's waiting. He knew there was this, there was something in the air. Even when you read. Uh, non-biblical writings about the time in the area, they were waiting for the Messiah to come, much like we're kind of feeling the same groanings today. They were waiting for the consolation of Israel because what was the Messiah promised to do? Restore the kingdom. Forgive them and redeem them from their sins. Uh, free them from their oppressors, from their from their from the consequences of the sin, sickness and thieves and problems. So this consolation he's waiting for And the Holy Ghost was upon him. So God's Holy Spirit was on him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he came by the Spirit in the temple. And when the parents brought uh, in the child Yeshua to do for him as the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Ah, pretty fascinating. Which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A This is just beautiful. A light to lighten the Gentiles. And the glory of thy people Israel. And Yosef and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Shimon blessed them. And said unto Miriam his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken again. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You know, powerful stuff right there. So he says, "Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. So this promise of saving his people from their sins, and that he would be a light to lighten the Gentiles, which is prophesied again. And the glory of thy people Israel, the Messiah, the one who will rule and reign and redeem them from their sins. And so he was shown this by, because he knew God's word, right? And then God's spirit moved in him such that he knew, God revealed to him that he was going to see this promised Messiah before he would die. So they marvel, and uh, they they and he also says, "Behold, this child is set for a fall and rising again of many in Israel." I find that really fascinating. That Many would stumble at him because he would be a stone of offense, and but that they would rise again. You know, very very just prophetic, and for a sign which shall be spoken against, and. Uh, Again, yeah, all these things prophed, prophesied. Yeah, that's what I love about you, you read the New Testament. It's like, and I never saw this before, that there's so much fulfillment of prophecy going on. Imagine that. <laughs> so then, it keeps go, getting better, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, and had lived with her, uh, with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore forty years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked, again, for the redemption in Jerusalem. So you have the consolation, the redemption, a light to the Gentiles, a sign to be spoken against, the glory of the people of Israel. All these things that Yeshua uh, would and would be and is. 39. And when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, again, so they're devout, they're obedient, they returned unto Galilee to their own city Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, it just keeps continuing, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. So again, they were obedient. Jerusalem, what are you supposed to do? Go to a Jer- uh, Passover. What are you supposed to do? Go to Jerusalem. All the males were supposed to be present there. So they did. And they went every year. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when he had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Yeshua tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew it not. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went uh, a day's journey, and they saw him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they had found, found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, hearing them and questioning, the, uh, asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thought thus... Uh, thou thus dealt with us. Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went with them and came to Nazareth and was subjected unto them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Yeshua increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. So you have... Uh, this one particular year, at least 12 years old, which um, some people think that was his um, uh, bar mitzvah. I, I don't know if you can make that correlation necessarily, but I don't think it's a random coincidence that he was 12 years old either. And so it was s- traditional to some degree that as the child reached that age of 12, 13, 14, that they then became... Uh, became a man once they essentially hit puberty and they started to become responsible for themselves and so he was following in his father's trade, in his father's footsteps, not Joseph being a, a carpenter per se but um, his heavenly father and so alright, we're going to keep going here, we're going to read um, most of, well about half of chapter 3 <laughs> now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, uh, in the region of Terracotinitis, and Lysias the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas, and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness." Um, Zacharias was a priest so so was John and John was in the wilderness which is always fascinating to me um, you know here again you have the wilderness, out in the wilderness where God is speaking and um, um, you know it's curious to me that John was not, at least that we can see and tell, participating in the, in the, uh, in the operating system of the temple at the time he had somewhat separated himself from that, it appears. So God comes unto him. Three, and he came unto all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written, written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Hallelujah. So that's, that is a prophecy from um, Isaiah chapter 40. And what is being said right there, this voice of one crying in the wilderness was a prophecy of John, who would prepare the way for the Messiah by preaching um, uh, the for- remission for the forgiveness of sins. And so, what he's talking about there with let every valley be filled, every mountain bought low, all the, you know, the rough made smooth, the crooked made straight. The idea was when the people would go to Jerusalem for the festivals, they would send out workers ahead of time and they would fix all the pathways so that the people could walk there on the paths because you're getting ready for a whole lot of traffic. And so they'd fill in the dips, they'd level off areas. If it was kind of crooked, they'd straighten things out. They'd mark graves so you can walk over graves. And, um they kind of clean up the pathways so that people who were coming to into the presence of God could get there easily and so John is one who is preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah to uh to earth and into into his work, and so he's preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, so at the time in first, the first century, baptism wasn't new. Uh, repenting of sins wasn't necessarily new. What was different is that they, the, during the, the, the first century in which Yeshua was on the scene and John the Baptist was on the scene, you were declared right essentially by your physical lineage. <laughs> and your heritage. And you were in the kingdom of God just because of you were born into it, essentially. Or if you were a convert, you could go through a special process and be circumcised and have a mikvah, and you would be then uh, now a member of the tribe of Israel, unless you were in the kingdom. So what he was saying was somewhat different in that you need to be baptized for the repentance of the remission of sins and repent. And so this was... An individual thing that would happen, but he was preaching to the corporate body. And it all goes back to Passover, because, again, that lamb died for you instead of you being put to death for that separation of God from God. And so he was preaching this remission of uh, baptism for the remission of sins. So let's keep reading here. So all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Verse 7, Then he said unto the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that Abraham is able of these stones to raise up children, Uh, I'm sorry, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So again, like I was just saying, they were saying, he's saying, O generation of vipers, who've warned you to flee to the wrath to come? Bring forth fruits, therefore, worthy of repentance. In other words, change what you're doing. Turn back to God and his ways and his word. Not to say within yourselves, we ask Abraham as our father. In other words... We're good. We're all set because Abraham is our father. Therefore, we've got a shoo-in into the kingdom of God. In other words, because he's and then he goes on to say, if God wants children of Abraham, He can raise them up from the stones. You have to repent and be baptized and born again to be in God's kingdom. And so, it's, you're not born into it. You have to be born again. Nine. Now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So that's a pretty bold statement right there, too. Because he's comparing God's people to trees. And so if a tree is not bearing forth fruit that it's supposed to, the farmer cuts it down and throws it into the fire because it's not doing it's not doing what it's supposed to be. And so if there's no fruits worthy of bearing forth um, what has happened internally, repentance, salvation, then that's not a tree that is, he wants in his kingdom. And so it gets cut down. And so then I love the response of the people. So people ask him saying, verse 10, what do we do then? And he answered and said to them, he that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. And the soldiers also likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Messiah or not." So let's, back, let's pause there and let's back up. So um, he's not saying that if you've got two coats, you give one away and you're good to go. He's, But he, what he's basically saying is you need to change the culture of your actions and how you're being obedient, and you need to follow God's words and ways. Because what had happened was the system of religious leadership of the day had created their own standards of what was right and wrong now and they had usurped the word of God and it had become a very corrupt society of the day and so he's saying you need to change what's inside in your heart and then when that changed and you believe and your ask for repentance then your fruit that you bear and what you do in your life will change and you will love your neighbor as yourself and so, if you've got two coats, be generous and take care of your neighbor. If you've got a food, take care of your neighbor. Don't, um, publicans they, who, they were the ones who gathered in the taxes, uh, don't take any more than what's appointed to you. So, in other words, because what they would do is they would siphon a little off the top. So, they weren't supposed to do that, he says. And to the, and then what I love is you have these three people groups, too, that are repenting and turning to him, right? And guess what? Not all of them were Jews. They had the people, which were probably Jewish people of the day. You had the tax collectors, some which were Romans, some which were um, Jews that were hired by the Romans to exact the taxes. And then you also had the soldiers who they weren't, you know, they were Gentiles. And so they all come to him, repenting, be baptized and asking what they can do to be in the kingdom. And so you have these people groups and I just love it. And with the soldiers, he says, treat people fairly. Don't make false accusations. You know, don't be corrupt. again, Love your neighbor as yourself, and obey God's word. And so let's keep going here. Mm -mm -mm. So they were wondering, is he the Messiah? 16, John answered and said unto them, "All I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Um, I believe that reference of the fire is to... um, the word of God, because if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 33, it says a fiery word or fiery law went forth from God. So I believe that's his word. 17, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his gardener, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in this exhortation preached ye unto them, unto the people. So again, with this idea of harvest and fruit and Trees that don't produce fruit are got cut down and thrown into the fire. He's going to, what they would do is they would, uh, when they would harvest the wheat, they'd put it into the floor and they would drag this threshing sledge over it that had these sharp stones and it would break up the chaff on the outside and then they would have these fans, they'd wave fans, and they'd throw the wheat up in the air and the outer rough outer shell would get blown away either in the wind or by the fan, and a winnowing fan, and so they would fan it. And so the chaff then gets burnt up and the fruit, that which gets produced, is then put into his barn and his storehouse. And, um, you know, so he's saying you guys need to be transformed and changed in your heart. You can't just walk out a religious system to do, you know, be born of the right lineage or be converted into the right lineage and then do X, Y, and Z things to stay in that group. And as long as you do these few things, you're guaranteed to be into the kingdom. But And if you, you know, cheat your neighbor, don't help the poor, it doesn't really matter, you're already a shoo-in, anyways. What he's saying is no, salvation is in the heart and, and what's inside. And then you bear forth that fruit that proves what's going on in the inside. So I just love these passages and I thought it was awesome and I wanted to read through it and comment on it because we don't knew enough of it and so we may do more of it but um, that's all we're going to do uh, for today so we'll pray. Heavenly Father God I just thank you for uh, this day uh, this Shabbat, your word and the truth of it and um, I just pray that you would uh, work it in and through us uh, that we may be um, transformed by your Holy Spirit, by your fiery law and that it would Uh, change our lives as we go out and and, and living in the diaspora. Just like they were in in, uh, turmoil and under an oppressive government and things weren't as they should be, they yet still obeyed. And they were transformed in their heart and wanted to know how to live differently. And so John helped to teach them. And we are also taught by your word. And so I just ask that you would help us to do it and to remain steadfast and motivated and uh, I just thank you for the Shabbat and ask that you give us a good rest of the week. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen.